Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 193 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, also brought to you by Acoustic Disc, where if you go to AcousticDisc.com right now and sign up for their email list, they're going to send you a free song, a treat of the week, every Thursday. No strings attached. It's always something great from the incredible Acoustic Disc library of music. Acoustic Disc is also home of the Acoustic Encounters podcast with Danny Barnes and the dog, David Grisman. Check them out today. How's everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. It's Monday where I am right now. I'm going to be doing this a little early. I'm packing and headed up to the Green Mountain Bluegrass Fest. Really looking forward to it. Staggeringly good lineup once again. Lots and lots of mandolin players. Always a good time talking to my buddy Harry Clark. You might remember him. We did the episode before. He's in a band, was in a band called The Wooks. He's on the Dan Tominski album. He's Dan Tominski's mandolin player. And also, he's got his band East Nashgrass. You're going to hear about them if you're not familiar. But they have a brand new album coming out today, the day this episode is being released. The album is called Last Chance to Win, and it is great stuff. Harry is a great mandolin player. Um, When I interviewed Dan Tominski, Dan Tominski had nothing but incredible stuff to say about Harry. So, you know, he's got to be good if Dan Tominski's talking really highly about him. Be sure to check it out wherever you get your music today. Let's get into our sponsors. Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players in Roots Music. Those instructors are Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. That's right, from a beginner to choro, to advanced jazz, they have got it all. My favorite part is if you go to pegheadnation.com now and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word at checkout, you get your first month for free. That's right, high quality multi angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Go on over to Peghead Nation today. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Brand new instruments, too, that they just introduced. you got to check those videos out. They sound incredible. I can't wait to get my hands on some. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Tone Slabs, we talk about Tone Slabs. I love my Tone Slab pick. Harry's got some too that he's digging. You can get one yourself. Go to ToneSlabs.com. They've got all the shapes and sizes that you could ever want. They can modify them how you'd like. They are a dream to work with. Go get yourself a slab of tone today at ToneSlabs.com. Stringjoy. Brand new mandolin strings. They've been around with acoustic guitar strings. Rave, rave reviews on these strings. And the best part about them, you get 10% off using the code, all one word, mandolin beer at checkout. So get 10% off and try some new strings. It's the closest thing you can get to getting a brand new mandolin sometimes. And and these things, I'm telling you, the, the reviews have been rave. Just dry, woody tone. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to check them out myself. But if you're like, Dan... I want to buy a brand new mandolin. Well, heck, head on over to Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. From the experience to the beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. 
They're in their 51st year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, I have to pack. Uh, Listen to this episode with Harry. Again, the brand-new album comes out today, Last Chance to Win. Let's head into the episode here with a killer tune written by uh, Maddie Denton, their incredible fiddle player. Cheers, everybody. All right, now it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Harry Clark. Harry, how's it going? Hey, Daniel. Pretty good, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Likewise, man. Um, you are you're gearing up. You're, you're getting ready to leave on the road. Today is the 9th of August. You're doing some East Coast East Coast dates. A pretty pretty good run for East Nashgrass this time around. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's our first time out uh, as a official tour. You know, we've we've done some. Uh, some one-offs that were pretty long, but this is a, uh, yeah, this is a two week tour and start off and, uh, starting off in Maryland and going all the way up to Con- uh, Connecticut and Vermont and Maine and New York, Massachusetts, and then coming back down and ending in Virginia. So, uh, yeah, we're getting ready, man. We're excited. That's incredible, dude. And how many, how many years have you guys been doing that D's gig? Man. So we're coming up on year six of, of this D's gig. Um, yeah, it started in 2017. So, uh, yeah, pretty wild. And it's like, that's the one thing, like anytime I have anybody I know now going to Nashville, I always ask what days are you going? And, um, if, if, if Monday is included, I'm like, you have to put this as one of your stops. Like, is it going to be the best time (laughs) you have? And it's just like, in such of a, it's such a out of the way kind of place. Like just getting there, even you're kind of like, Whoa, <laughs> man, it is such a blast. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, you know, it's a, it's a cool little destination that I guess it's gaining more popularity and more traction as just a, a venue in Nashville to go check out. You know, it's not quite in, in downtown. You kind of got to make a, like a 10 minute trip from downtown to get there. And it's kind of in a, it's in Madison, which is a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it's an interesting part of town. Madison can be a little, uh, you never, you never know what kind of experience you might have in Madison. It's, uh, it'll be different from day to day. So it's, and it's right behind a, uh, it's right behind like a, a donut shop and an adult bookstore. So you really got to look for it to find it. But yeah, these is a pretty cool spot, man. It's really become a, uh, one of, one of the new Nashville, uh, hotspots for sure. Like I got there early. Um, cause I went and ate ahead of time and it's kind of like workers getting a beer after doing hard manual labor and then a bunch of music fans within an hour, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We get there early enough to see the blue collar crowd and then, uh, leave late enough to see, uh, all the hipsters who come after us to see, the, you know, and it's still affordable to drink there. Yeah, it is. You can get like a, yes, you can, you can have an affordable drink in Nashville still. It's still possible. And and if you uh, want to keep up on the city of Madison, you can always follow uh, Corey Walker. On, um... yeah, he's, he's got a pretty good daily update on, <laughs> on what's happening in the area. He'll let you know. Oh, my sure. God. How long has this lineup of East Nashgrass been together? This lineup's been together probably 
minus the bass player, we we've kind of we kind of float bass players in and out. Um, up until recently, we've we've had pretty much Jeff Picker for the last probably year and a half, but uh, this year he's been out with Nickel Creek, so we've been having you know fill-ins and and you know th- them and them and whoever you know can fill in. Um, but this configuration's been together for probably probably like four years, going on four years with a. Uh, yeah, James Key on guitar. He actually started out on mandolin, and I started on guitar, but we made a swap about two years ago. And uh, so, yeah, James Key on guitar, Maddie Denton on fiddle, Corey Walker on banjo, and Madison News Updates, and Gavin Largen on the dobro. And um, Jeff, you just mentioned he's he he's the new guy in Nickel Creek. I guess when whenever they're touring, that will be. Um, and Gavin, yep. you and Maddie play with Dan Tominski. Corey plays with Tim O'Brien. Yep. Corey just got back from La Roche, I think. Uh, he was out there playing with Tim, and uh, yeah, out in France. So he's uh, he's raring to go. He 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 missed a flight yesterday, oh. and uh, got back to Nashville late, just in time to to leave today. <laughs> <laughs> How did this whole um, East Nash Grass start? What was the uh, thinking behind it? Was it always at D's? Yeah, so it kind of it kind of was born at D's. What what really happened was uh, there's a there's a great banjo player, a guitar player, and great singer in town named Luke Monday. Uh, if you ever come to Nashville, try to catch Luke Monday somewhere. He's he's awesome, man. He's a Nashville staple. He's from here, and uh, he's just he's just as real as you can get. But he he ended up talking to a uh, a bartender at D's about starting a bluegrass night, and it had kind of been in in the works. And uh, for some reason, he never nailed it down, and it got passed along to a banjo player named Ryan Cavanaugh, who was living in Nashville at the time. And Ryan put a group together for a uh, for a night, a Monday night at D's. It was me. I was actually playing upright bass. Corey was playing guitar, Corey Walker, and then Jared Walker was playing mandolin, and Ryan Cavanaugh on banjo. And uh, we had a one night show, you know, and then after that night, Ryan said, yeah, I'm not really interested in doing this anymore. And he kind of handed it off to me. He said, do whatever, you know, do whatever you want to with this. So, uh, I kind of, for the first couple weeks, I would just call random pickers who I thought would be fun to sit in with, you know, and just have a Monday night bluegrass night. Um, and it, it kind of started being hard to like, to find certain people to, to fill in on certain weeks. So I was really lucky when uh, one night I went to the station in and uh, James Key was there hanging out and I'd known of James because he played in a he played in a band called Katie Penn in Newtown that you know toured kind of the southeastern circuit for for a while and I'd seen him out playing I'd known who he was and so I saw him at saw him at station in and we kind of started talking and hitting it off and I said man I got this Monday night gig you know if you're going to be in town on Mondays. Um, you should come out and play. And at that time he was splitting time between uh, Nashville and Chattanooga where he's from uh, before he moved to Nashville full time. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in town every Monday. man, so I'll, uh, I'll come out. And he just kind of, it, it kind of went without saying that he just was in the band and, uh, you know, added a few other people. Luke Monday ended up playing banjo for a while. And uh, Corey Walker though, was the one who actually said, man, you should just call the band East Nash grass. Because <laughs> I was I was looking for something to call it, and uh, he was like, "You should just call it East Nash Grass." Like, well, that sounds great. I think I'll do that. So, kind of ripped the the band name from Corey, 
And, uh, you know, we had a couple different bass players come through. A guy named Eric Fry played with us for a while. And then we had uh, Jeff Saunders, who now plays with Sierra Farrell. He played with us for a while and was on our first recording. Um, and then uh, Luke left the band and Corey was available. He wanted to join. And uh, Maddie Denton, who's also a Middle Tennessee native, uh, ended up coming out to play a few shows and just – I don't know. Everything just sort of fell together naturally. It wasn't really like we were trying to put a band together. Just so it just, it just ended up happening really. It kind of, it kind of happenstance. And uh, so, yeah, we just ended up doing it for like five years. And then we decided, you know, we should, we should really try to do this somewhere other than D's at some point in time, you know? And uh, yeah. From there it went, born born from a honky tonk. <laughs> I also love the fact that um, you guys do those live streams and just the uh, the looseness until the music starts, and then even when the music is loose, you can it's just still it's it's people you can tell have played together a bunch of years because everybody you know curveballs are caught <laughs> you know and it's so fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's been great exposure for us, you know, because we started really doing the live stream during the the kind of kind of the beginning of the lockdown and the pandemic and um yeah it, it was a great opportunity for us to play we a lot of those first live streams were kind of uh kind of played to an empty room you know no one was really going anywhere um you know no one could go out and hang at a bar and uh we would all you know we would all you know test and you know the, the day before we'd go play these, do a live stream. And it was great to have just an outlet, you know, somewhere to go play when we were so unsure of when we'd get to play again out in the world or just go do anything. At least we had Monday night, we could go play, you know, the live stream. It took a while kind of getting used to playing to a room with no audience. But after a while, you know, we, we kind of, kind of got her kind of got used to it, you know? And um, yeah. And also there's something about just, you know, non-pandemic times, playing in a bar, it's a different atmosphere than, than playing, uh, well, playing a lot of other places. You've played bar gigs, you know how it goes, but a lot of the times at bar gigs, a lot of bands are, uh, you know, electric. And being an acoustic band at a bar gig, where it can sometimes be a loud atmosphere and you don't know if people are really into what you're doing, you kind of have to learn to adapt to that atmosphere and kind of answer back with, with what you're doing on stage to whatever's going on out in front of you. So it can really, really lead to some interesting uh, moments on stage. Yeah. Now, when you guys are doing this tour, are you guys doing the all acoustic sort of thing too and playing into mics? Yeah, we are. Um, we actually just got an ear rig. So we're, we're, we're stepping into new territory, you know, we're, we're, we're still micing up. We haven't moved to the pickup phase yet. It might come at some point, but for now we're still just using mics and, uh, yeah, we got an ear rig that our buddy Brad Binge is a great bass player, drummer, and sound man uh, here in Nashville. He runs sound for Sierra Hall, actually, at the moment. Um, he helped us set up this ear rig, so we're gonna, yep, we're gonna be all, all, uh, all headphones if you see us on this Northeast tour. Yeah, nice man. Are you guys doing like yeah. the iPad Behringer XR sort of thing? Yeah, it's kind of. We're actually all going on one mix right now, so it's still similar to uh to like a wedge mix. But, uh, you know, we're just able to kind of kind of eliminate the, the house sound and the feedback and, the, you know, the hard time that you'll have with 
people trying to run monitors for a six-piece acoustic band it should be really <laughs> really hellacious so we've kind of kind of cut that out and uh yeah it's awesome before we get into this new album by the way last chance to win um before we talked last time we talked you had just it hadn't been announced i believe that you were officially in dan Tominsky's band and then i interviewed dan Tominsky, and he couldn't talk more highly about you and that that album came out just recently and um man that's killer killer playing on there buddy that girl ain't never coming home Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's an awesome album, and of course, everyone is uh, is always happy when Dan puts out some some new grass music. Man, it's just like everyone wants to hear him do it. So it, it'd been like I don't even know how long it'd been since he's put out a grass record, but it's been a long time, and it's uh, I think it, it had been very very much anticipated for a long time. So I was so happy to be a part of it, man. Dream come true. Yeah, what's that been like traveling with him and you know doing shows? Like he's he's got a pretty pretty big following in the uh, in the bluegrass world. I'd imagine he's got some some pretty cool fans or some pretty rabid fans that love the music. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, I'd say everyone in the band included. You know, everyone in the band grew up listening to Dan and really just kind of worshiping a lot of the records he was on and really studying, you know, what he did and. But, uh, you know, you know, he was in a, a big record for me when I was young was um, was so long, so wrong. Not even when I was young. It's still a big record. It's still like sonically one of my favorite records to hear. It's just so well produced and the rhythm section is so tight. And um, yeah, everywhere you go, you know, there's people who, who are asking, you know, what's it like to to play with Dan? And it's uh, it's awesome. And uh, it's kind of scary because. <laughs> You know, I've, I've spent so much of my time listening to, to music he was involved with and singing on. He was a big part of my uh, my musical experience. And so getting to make music with him is it's awesome. It's all sorts of things. It's a it's a roller coaster of emotions, Daniel. <laughs> I bet. And yeah, he's got such a killer voice. And I always forget. Then I'll listen to like some like some old Lonesome River Band thing that he's playing mandolin on. It'll pop up and I'll be like, whoa. I forgot yeah. he was just a killer mandolin player too. Sometimes, yeah, man. Don't forget his tone and like <laughs> yeah. his taste is the best. It's just, it's it's amazing. I was I was going to record a record a few months ago, and uh, it was it was a pretty, uh, you know, it was kind of like the style of the music was reminiscent of Lonesome River Band, and I just put on a bunch of that old like Dan T playing mandolin from the nineties to get amped up for playing on the record because I was like, man, this is this is the best. I want to try to play like this on this record, you know, just tasteful and, and the biggest tone of all time. Yeah. It's, it's crazy getting to stand next to him. And, and I just try to try to not think about the fact that he's an epic mandolin player when I'm on stage next to him. So don't, <laughs> don't worry about that. Man. Yeah. Well, he thinks very highly of you. I mean, he's, uh, and I should mention, I feel, dude, you're such a great player. I've got to see you multiple times play now, but I still haven't announced this project. I've, got a little sidetracked with the concussion there but uh this yeah. project here i have a few more things to finish up but um when i announce it but you were part of it 
And one of my favorite things about that, and one of the things I tell everyone who I've talked to about the session is probably, I think maybe the first take of the tune that we did was probably the keeper. So we were just like, well, let's just, well, we got, you know, two hours and you yeah. did, you did seven different solos and they couldn't have been any more different. It wasn't like, uh, I had this idea from that last one. It was a completely fresh, completely different idea every single time. <laughs> I still can't believe it. Yeah, man. Uh, ADD is, it's a problem. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a problem. I think you might have figured a way to contain it because they were all great. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's a, uh, yeah, I, I never could focus really uh, enough to play the same thing over and over again. I know cats that can write the, the craziest solos you've ever heard or, or like, you know, sit with the song and come up with the coolest solo ever. And I just don't have the patience for that. And so I, I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe it's, it's a blessing and a curse. It, uh, it, it keeps me coming up with fresh stuff, but I don't know. Fresh, fresh stuff isn't always, a isn't always the best. You know, I can think of several things out there that, that you can find fresh, but that doesn't mean they're great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, but I appreciate I, that, man. It was a blast to get to record with you and I've never really got to do a, uh, I don't want to say too much. And I guess you can edit this out if you need to, but, uh, Oh, so fun. It sounds so good. I, I am, uh, I'm stoked to, I got four more tunes to do and to finish up. Let's talk about this new record. Uh, last chance to win. It comes out the 18th. It'll be airing. This will be airing the day it comes out. And yes. so, um, where'd you guys record it at? So we recorded actually, uh, the same place we recorded, uh, your record. We did it at the tractor shed over at Mark Howard's and, um, we had uh, Sean Spencer, at the console kind of kind of just recording and capturing and uh you know giving opinions when asked sean's the i don't know if you've met sean or not but no i haven't he's such a good hang in the studio and uh you know he, he's he's uh he keeps him car his cards to himself you know he keeps his cards close to himself but uh he was always handy when when the band couldn't decide what to come up with because it's pretty much a band produced record and if we were at a standstill with an idea, we'd always ask Sean, you know, like, what do you think, Sean? And he was, <laughs> he was always happy to give a, 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 a thought to us, but yeah, we recorded at the tractor shed, man. And what an epic place to record. That place is killer. I didn't realize too, it was uh, grandpa Jones's from Hee Haw's actual where the studio is his actual place where he kept his tractor. Yeah, it really was a tractor shed, man. It's, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, it's an honest name. Yep, Mark, uh, I guess Mark Howard bought it. I don't remember when he bought it, but anyway, he did a great job transforming that old tractor shed into a uh, an awesome studio, man. It sounds so good in there, and uh, I don't know, the vibe is great. It's got a great bathroom. It's wonderful. It does have a great bathroom. <laughs> it really does. It's epic. <laughs> um, is Sean the one, is he the one that used to run the butcher shop? Yeah, he did. I guess uh, he was... He was a uh, John Prine's guy for a long time, and yeah, he was over there. So, so how did you guys come up with the tunes? I know that you um, you wrote one of the tracks on this record, which is killer. I did. I didn't end up writing one. Uh, that's the only one that I wrote on the track. It's the track Starlit Iris. Oh, 
whiskey overflowing, I began to pour it down. The sky is dark and the moon is bright to the ground, all covered in snow. I'll ramble around this valley town with no place left to go. He wrote that one. James Key wrote a song called Almost Told or So, and that actually came out as a single yesterday. Um, or if you're listening in the future, it came out a week ago, Thursday. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, James wrote that one. Uh, Corey wrote a song with uh, Christian Ward, who's a great fiddle player and songwriter. Christian got IBMA's Song of the Year for writing Red Daisy for Billy Strings. And um, we have like three songs that have Christian involved in them on the record. Him and uh, Corey wrote that song. It's called East U.S. Blues. singing they uh they wrote or uh let's see and then christian and jared walker wrote a song called magic city gray that james sang and christian ended up writing the title track of our album which is a song called last chance to paint In that county bridge ain't coming back again Last chance to win, last chance to win I've gambled it all, boys, it's my last chance to win So uh, Christian's such a, such a powerhouse musician and writer, man So it's been awesome to kind of have him in our corner uh, Helping us out and lending songs to the band we have a couple other covers as well. There's one called Railroad and Gambling, which is this old Uncle Dave making song. It's kind of an old time tune. And uh, yeah, Gavin sang it marvelously. And then Maddie wrote a fiddle tune that's on the album. And uh, yeah, so if, if the songs aren't original from the band members, most of them are original to the band or just songs that have never really been done by a bluegrass band. Yeah. So how did you how did you pick them? And like, were you playing some of these tunes at some of the D's gigs already, too? Yeah, some of them were songs that we'd already kind of been playing on. Um, some of them were songs that we talked about doing. And then some of them, you know, the song that James wrote, Almost Told Her So, uh, we hadn't heard it until like, I feel like the last couple of days of the studio, we were kind of talking about what else we should do. And uh asked James, uh, you know, have you written anything? He's like, well, I got this one song and he kind of played a few bars of it. I'm like, man, that's great. Let's just learn that real quick and record it. And, uh, it ended up being one of those songs that, uh, yeah, kind of like day of we heard it, like, <laughs> yeah, let's record it. And there are a few other songs like that too. Um, but yeah, some of them were songs we've been doing for a while or talked about doing Dave, that Dave making song railroad and gambling Corey been talking about doing that song for a while. Keep all your 
I remember him bringing it up here and there. Like, oh, that'd be a great song to do. That'd be a great song to do. And, uh, finally, it, it came around to time to record, and he was like, "Man, we should do this one." Gavin, uh, Gavin really sang it. This record kind of has more of an old time vibe than, than I think what we really planned for it to to have. You know, it's a little more rooted in that that type of just uh, kind of uh, rhythmic uh, melody. You know. A lot, a lot of fiddle, banjo, mandolin, dobro, all playing together and kind of driving, driving the melody home. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of, kind of on accident, the whole record ended up having sort of an old time feel to it. Right from the first track, I was like, oh wow, this is very. Uh, I guess it was definitely different, not different than what I thought it would be because I didn't really have any expectation. But you guys are all such great players, like. My first assumption, I think, would be like, oh, this is probably just going to be ripping. And it is ripping, but in a completely different way than what I expected. And, uh, man, it's like it's it's excellent, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're we're super excited about it. Super happy for everyone to hear the rest of it. I think they put out like four singles, four or five singles at this point. Um, one of my favorite tunes on the record is this song called Papa's on the Housetop, which is uh, it's a song that's probably over 100 years old. It was done by this uh, – blues stride pianist back in like turn of the century named Leroy Carr. And um, it's kind of a, someone called it a bop the other day. I heard someone call it a bop and uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty fun though, man. It's kind of a, it's not super fast tuned, but it's, uh, it's got a, it's got an old blues feel to it, man. It's got a lot of drive. So. Yeah. I have that jotted down here because your solo on that tune, man, is just like a killer Monroe style, just barn burner. We, uh, we, we played that tune uh, maybe like four times in the studio. That was the first song we recorded on the record. Um, first day of recording, we got there, and no one really wanted to sing because it was you know, <laughs> early in the morning, and we're all groggy. And so anyway, ended up doing that song. And if you listen close, you can really hear, uh, you can really hear that early morning in my voice. I'm, uh, I'm uh, yeah, sounded like I just woke up, which is kind of, Kind of great uh, for me, because because then we don't leave folks expecting too much. We don't leave them expecting too much. But uh, we cut it live, man, and it just had such a good feel, and everyone played so well on it. It, uh, you know, there's been times in the studio where where I'm playing and I just don't feel like I can really lock in with everyone. Maybe everyone's struggling to get tones set right or the the volume, whatever, adjusted. But uh, yeah, that on that recording, it was just like. I don't know. Couldn't have couldn't have felt easier for for folks. It was uh yeah. It was a great way to start the record. 
The other thing we were just talking about, like your different styles and different takes and different things like that. And one, I think a great example is to take the, the Papa's on the house top and then take that. How could I love her so much? How could I love her so much and then lose her so quickly to someone like you? solos are so vastly different <laughs> but both sound i mean they're both the other one's just more like just single note ripping oh, yeah and it's it really sums up your your playing you've got all you've got so many styles that you can cover and and you do them all well man it's it's really interesting to hear and inspiring i mean it makes me want we were talking before we started every time i hear you i want to pick up my mandolin and try to get better <laughs> well, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe for different reasons, but it's, uh, you know, I, uh, the Monroe thing has been kind of the, kind of been what I've been listening to most lately. It's still, I don't know, the last three years, I've just really gotten into that, that style of playing because it's, it's really I feel like it's a relatively fresh style of playing still. I know a lot of people who kind of think of Monroe style mandolin as like this uh, uh, sort of really traditional style mandolin playing, kind of primitive style. But honestly, it's pretty modern mandolin playing. And it's it's a relatively new style still of mandolin playing. And I think there's a lot you can explore with, with what Monroe was doing and, you know, what, what his predecessors were doing, guys like Frank Wakefield or Buzz Busby and, I mean, it, it leads into Grisman and Ronnie McCurry and Mike Compton and all those guys. There's just so much, uh, so much you can do with that sound, and so much that hasn't been done with it yet. That it's a, uh, it's really fun to just kind of play around with. The um, the uh, thing I think is cool about Monroe too is whatever group of musicians was around him. I was actually just talking about this with Heidi Herzog, who puts on that uh, Monroe camp. Oh, yeah. Because I'm going to be up there doing a uh, podcast. But what's really interesting is Monroe's style changed as the players around him changed as well. And it was like his playing adapted to these other players. And it was still, I mean, you know, if he was still around today, I think whoever he was surrounded with, it would still it would be so much more different than what it was 20 years ago or 10 years ago. Totally. And I mean, I think, I think most good musicians, um, I think they're adaptive, you know, um, like, like I have to play a different way when I play with Dan than I, than I play when I play with East Nash Grass, you know, cause Dan's music lends itself to something else. Uh, you know, I wouldn't really want to, I can't really play just like a bunch of Monroe stuff over Dan's music. It's just not set up for it. And it's, uh, you know, when I first started playing mandolin, my, my hero and idol was Adam Steffi. Um, and I still love Steffi's playing, man. I still go back and listen to it. And I'm always just kind of floored and in awe by it, how, how his tone and timing just line up. Um, so, so Dan's music, I can't really, it doesn't lend itself to, to play in, play in like I would with East Nash Grass. You know, Dan has a sound that he's crafted over the last 30 years. And, uh, and when I play his music with him, I need to, you know, kind of find a way to adapt to that and, and honor it. And Dan's really cool about letting everyone, you know, 
branch out and be themselves musically. I don't think Dan's ever once told me what I needed to play or what I had to play or been like, Oh, you really ought to play it like this. He's not like that <laughs> at all. He's super cool. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's, there's certain risks I won't take with Dan in honor or in order to, uh, you know, to kind of keep his sound what it is, you know, adapt to adapt to what he's doing. You know, so going back to Monroe, adapting to his band, I feel like I feel like that's uh, good for all musicians to be able to do is kind of have kind of have that adaptiveness, you know, that that sense of listening to what's going on to be able to uh, to, to fit your surroundings, you know, blend into your environment. Do you have a process you go through that might be different as far as let's say you're getting ready to go on stage with Dan in an hour as opposed to getting ready to play with East Nash in an hour? Do you have like a different, I mean, to get you in that mindset, do you have a warm up that you do or is it kind of the same thing and you just go up there and, and flip a switch and it, it just starts happening? Yeah. You know, some, sometimes I do with Dan, I like to, uh, I really do like to warm up before I get on stage with Dan, you know, it's a very, uh, his music is very, you got to finesse a lot playing with Dan and, um, I like to maybe play with a metronome a little bit just to kind of get in that headspace of, of that type of separation. You know, uh, when Steffi played with, with Dan, uh, he, his, his note separation is, is one of the biggest things that defines his sound. I feel like, and, uh, he's kind of a metronome kind of freak. He would, he would practice with a metronome all the time. I don't do it enough, but I like to do it some. So with Dan, before I get on stage, I might play with a metronome a little bit and kind of, kind of remember yeah keep her keep her a little more between the lines man <laughs> you know another thing with, with playing with dan and east nash grass is dan is someone that you know i've listened to and looked up to musically for for years and while i look up and respect everyone in east nash grass it's like a bunch of my peers and a bunch of people my age and you know not just not just musicians i play in bands with but but you know they're the guys I hang out with too when I'm not on the road. They're just my my buddies. So it's a different, you know. I might I might be more liable to to uh, joke around musically with uh with the guys in East Nash than I would with Dan. You know, we're we're all kind of uh with with without having to uh, to use obscenities, we're all just kind of a bunch of of goobers in East Nash grass and. Uh, <laughs> And any chance we can to try to make each other laugh or crack each other up or throw each other off, we that's kind of our uh, that's kind of our mantra in East Nash Gas, you know. <laughs> We're always trying to just screw with each other no matter what. So it's just a different mindset on stage altogether with each man, but it's great, you know, each 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 time, no matter who it's with, it's always fun and I always look forward to doing it. When you're sitting down and working on some of that Monroe stuff, what do you um what are you trying to land? You've, I mean, because you've gotten really good. I think one of the th the toughest things to do is, um, and, and when I interviewed Compton for the first time, he called it the uh, sloppy stuff, joking. I mean, I think joking anyway, because it's anything but sloppy, but that slippy, slidey sort of, uh, you know, in between the notes stuff is yeah. so hard to sound good on <laughs> easy to sound bad on <laughs> you know? yeah well you kind of gotta you kind of gotta give in to sounding like shit for a little bit when you learn that stuff you kind of <laughs> gotta be like this is not gonna sound right 
off the top. And that's, that's one of the things that really got me with Monroe at first that I didn't understand. It's like, I didn't know how to kind of put on this, this like musical filter to actually hear what he was doing. All I could hear was the old recordings. And sometimes it sounded like he was playing with a quarter as a pick. And, you know, as, as, as a younger kid, it's like, that didn't really speak to me. And uh, as I got older, I guess I just lived through more hard stuff and, and uh, kind of realized uh, some truths in life. And then Monroe's mandolin playing all of a sudden just started speaking to me a lot more. I was like, Oh yeah, that's so real. And so uh, awesome, but also very musical. And uh, a lot of it too, there's this guy in, so growing up in Arkansas, there was kind of a lack of, of killer mandolin players around, but there's this one guy named Bill Nesbitt, who's from Little Rock, who's an amazing musician, not just bluegrass, but music in general. Um, He's really into like, you know, Django's guitar play in and, uh, and like Bob Dylan, he knows so many Bob Dylan songs, just singing them and playing finger style guitar. But he's also a great uh, Monroe style mandolin player. And he can't play as much anymore because he's got arthritis and it's kind of limited. But man, Bill really knew the Monroe uh, repertoire and he knew all these Monroe songs. And Bill was, Bill was the mandolin player around when I was a kid growing up who I could just like, jam with or go hear him jam or go watch him play and and get information because he knew so much and at the time you know the monroe style wasn't really what i was going for but i think just being around bill so much uh bill nesbitt that is and hearing him play and playing around him that stuff just kind of rubbed off on me naturally without me really realizing it subconsciously i picked up this monroe some of this monroe stuff that i didn't even realize was monroe until i started listening to more monroe and going, oh, this is what Bill was doing. You know, this this man on player who was the cat around home when I was a kid. He was just, I don't know, he was subconsciously putting Monroe in my ear. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's been there for a long time. And I think as a uh, as an adolescent, I tried to uh, try to avoid sounding like that. I don't know why. Maybe uh, maybe because I was rebellious. But the older I've got, the more I'm just related to that sound. And and. Uh, you know, I've never really learned too much Monroe, just note for note Monroe stuff, which I probably should. Um, but I've really tried listening to it and listening to the guys who who studied Monroe. You know, like a like I said, uh, Frank Wakefield, who Jared Walker has really turned me on to. Jared's big Frank fan. Um, you know, this guy Buzz Busby. I don't know if you've ever listened to much Buzz Busby. I think he's originally from Louisiana, but. He went to D.C. in like the 50s, 60s. You know, there's a bluegrass scene out there. And uh, he recorded some of these records, man. And some of the stuff he was playing on mandolin was kind of unbelievable. There's this awesome Buzz Busby song, and it's called Whose Red Wagon Have You Been Riding In? It's, it's so, it's just this kind of honky-tonk grass number. It's really honking. And Busby plays this solo. At the, at the second half, his mandolin solo, it's just all 30-second notes for like, I don't know, four bars it's it's crazy man it's one of the craziest solos and that kind of stuff just gets me another cat uh is you know chris henry i'm sure you've had him on the show dude yes i have he's great yeah that guy's such a freak man uh i've never heard anyone physically be able to do what that guy can do on a mandolin he uh he came to d's a couple weeks ago and sat in played a song played that song he wrote uh is it west dakota rose i believe is what it is and man, he, he did the same thing. He played this string of like 30 second notes 
and it was just unreal. It's like, man, how do you, how do you do that? I, I couldn't wrap my brain around it, but, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, he was kind of one of the guys who really got me back into the Monroe style after, after not hanging around you know, my buddy, Bill Nesbitt for a few years. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of modern mandolin players. And when I first moved to Nashville, I ended up playing some guitar dates with uh, with Chris Henry and the Hardcore Grass at the time. Corey Walker was playing banjo with him. He got me on, and me and me and Chris would would swap on and off guitar and mandolin some during the show. But uh, just hearing someone like him up close, man, play that kind of stuff on a mandolin, it really really bent my ear and really uh, really kind of opened my eyes to a whole new landscape of possibilities for mandolin playing. I just wonder if the, the like the Bill Monroe style, if, if like if you first start playing mandolin and you don't appreciate it right off the get go, I wonder if it's almost because you maturity kicks in. And when you listen again, you're like, oh, it's um, it might sound sloppy, but like like listening to Steffi, for instance, like if you wanted to learn a solo, not that you could ever just perfectly learn an Adam Steffi solo as a beginner, but it is a lot more um, rhythmic right on. You know what I mean? Like if you were to sit down and slow it down, like you, you'd be able to be like, okay, I can hear all these notes. Where Monroe, yeah. if you were to sit down and learn a Monroe solo, it, it's it's a chore, man. I mean, there's <laughs> you're gonna your work is cut out trying to figure out, you know, like those slides or you know some of those crazy double stops. You know, it's yeah. Steffi's a little, Steffi's a little more on the grid, and uh, yeah, Monroe is a little more just out there. Dude, you know what else is awesome? I was um uh, last time we talked, you you hadn't had this mandolin, but I was hanging out with you when Maddie picked it up uh, when you were here in Charleston a while oh, back. Yeah. You got yourself a new axe. Yeah, man, new to me. Uh, it's a 2005 Gilchrist, man. It's a uh, it's a mandolin I've always wanted as long as I've, you know, I think when I when I first heard um, Ronnie McCurry play, I was like, that's some of the craziest mandolin tone I've ever heard. And of course, he's got that 80s X braced, uh, you know, Engelman top mandolin. And mine's a totally different mandolin than his. It's uh, it's about you know, 20 years newer and. Uh, and uh, tone bars, red spruce top, and uh, it's more, more kind of like your, uh, your your Gibson esque mandolin, but it, it doesn't sound like a Gibson at all. It's it's awesome, man. I'm I'm still learning things about it, and it's uh it's opened up a lot since I got it. I bought it from the mandolin store when it was here in uh, in Nashville. Uh, they've since moved to Ohio, but a uh, this this lady whose husband had passed away it had been his mandolin. And, Looks like uh, looks like he'd really enjoyed playing it. It's uh, it's definitely <laughs> got some wear on it. It's definitely uh, he definitely took it out to the festivals and had some late nights with it, um, which is great. It's got a lot of character, but uh, yeah, he ended up buying it from them and uh, man, I haven't looked back. I absolutely loved it. I ended up calling it Chauncey. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I've never never named an instrument before, and I never really thought I would, but uh. Yeah, it's it's Chauncey for sure. How'd you come up with the name? Man, it's it's kind of a long story, but uh it was Jared Walker kind of kind of inspired me to name it Chauncey. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> had you played it before it had gotten there? Like how did you find it? Because a lot of times, like especially like on the Mandolin Cafe, if a gill comes up in the classifieds, you might click on the link to take a look at it and it might already be gone. Right. Well, my buddy, uh, I got a buddy in Memphis named David Pierce. He's a great mandolin player. And, uh, he's just played with a lot of great Memphis folks for the last ever, you know, 
he's he's just a, a cat in the the bluegrass scene down there and he uh he'd been looking for a gill and he told me about this mandolin he was like dude this mandolin's for sale right down the street from you would you mind going to look at it for me <laughs> you know? and i was like yeah man i'll go look at it for you and play it uh, i'd love to and at the time i was like not at all thinking about buying it i didn't think i would be able to at all but i went down there and played it and was like man this thing is awesome uh and i called him was like dude the mandolin's awesome it sounds great i was like the only thing is cosmetically it's it's beat up son you know it's it's definitely got some some checking in the varnish and there's some some spots where the the varnish is missing you know and it's it's really been played and uh i was like i would buy it if i could man but i don't have the money for it he was like well you know that's it's on sale and i didn't i hadn't even like looked at the price or asked about the price or anything when i went to look at it because i wasn't even thinking about buying it uh anyway i ended up looking going back and looking at the price and going oh man i might could swing this you know it's uh, this one's on sale and uh ended up kind of talking to the people at the mandolin store and you know ended up getting it for uh for a price i couldn't say no to you know and uh, and just haven't looked back man it uh uh, David, David gave me his blessing, of course, to, to go ahead and buy it. Cause I told him, I was like, man, I, I would love to buy this thing. He was like, dude, you need to get it. then if you really like it. And he ended up getting a, uh, he bought a, I think a 2000, and, I think it's like a 2006, uh, D log, uh, model five Gilchrist. It's his is great, man. It's beautiful. And his is in perfect condition. And, uh, so he, he ended up getting one. I didn't feel too bad after that. I kind of felt bad at first because my buddy had wanted me to go check this mandolin out for him. I was like, yeah, dude, I'll go check it out. And then I got it. <laughs> you know, so he was very gracious about it and really cool. And was like, yeah, dude, you need to get it. So, yeah, that's how, that's how it happened. I have my buddy David Pierce to thanks for it. They just, man, they have a sound, dude. I mean, even my wife, who, I mean, doesn't play mandolin, doesn't play any instrument whatsoever. We were at a festival and Jake Howard was playing, and we were pretty we were a little bit further back, just eating. And uh, she's like, "Does he play a Gilchrist?" I'm like, "He does play a Gilchrist." She's like, "Yeah, it sounds like a Gilchrist." I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she knows. <laughs> she knows. She they do knows. have a sound, man. He's got like he's got like two of them. I played one of them at IBMA last year, and it was one of the better mandolins I've ever played. I mean, I've I've not played too many gills that I didn't really like, but this one was just the one that he had. I don't even know which one it was, but it was crazy sounding. It was unreal. Yeah, there's definitely a sound to it. There's like a low end in the high strings and a, a high end to the low. It's it's weird. Yeah, it's got that chop. It's got a very particular, you know. I, I mean, granted, too, I listen to a lot of players who play them. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. you might have heard it via, you know, like it sunk in, like Monroe sunk in when that guy was playing it for you in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, um. Yeah, you know, they're not like super bassy mandolins, but there is this depth to them that's, uh, you can really only get it out of one of them. And you had Danny Roberts do some work, and you said that really, uh, really opened it up and and made a huge difference too. Yeah, I'd, I'd taken it to to several different people, you know. There's there's a bunch of good, there's so many good luthiers in Nashville. And, um, you know, I took it to Hugh Hansen to repair it. I cracked the top. Uh, at a at a in a session, I was putting the mantle in the case and pushed down too hard oh, on no. the top top f hole, kind of on the the back the larger side of the back of the the top f hole, 
and I, I cracked the top just a little bit. And I thought I was going to be sick to my stomach. Oh my gosh. I ended up taking it to this guy, Hugh Hansen, who fixed it for me. And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it, man. This happens all the time. Hugh's great, man. Hugh's, uh, you know, if I ever needed to like have a, a new neck put on a mandolin or something like that, or a fingerboard, I'd hit up Hugh without a doubt. He's, he's, uh, he worked with Steve for a long time and, uh, he's kind of Steve's guy in the States to, to send mandolins to for warranty work. Um, but, but I, uh, I've been hearing about Danny for a long time, you know, and, uh, and there was the, the left hand on the mandolin. I just couldn't get the relief that I needed. And I was like, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with this, uh, with this neck. And I'd taken it to a couple different people to have them do a few things to it. But I ended up taking it to Danny, who was the first player slash setup guy I'd taken it to. And I think there's something about taking a mandolin to a player that does setup work. Cause they really, you know, they're players themselves. They know, they know what you're looking for. And Danny, Danny just got it to where it was playing like butter, but didn't, didn't lose any sound. If anything, it gained sound and tone and opened up more after that. So I'd always, I would recommend anyone take their stuff to Danny. He's such a cool dude too, man. Great player. Super great. I just had him on the podcast and he couldn't have been a nicer guy, man. Yeah. Such a nice guy, man. Uh, Really cool, really knowledgeable about mandolins, man. I think I know so much about them. Did you put a pickup in it? Um, I had a K and K on it for a while. That was just a, a body mount pickup. I haven't drilled a hole in it yet, but that might end up happening before too long. I'm I'm not super against doing it. I've just put it off. Sure, you know, but I'm not against it. And if anything, I'll probably put a K and K in it. It's still kind of the best pickup, I feel like. Yeah. Did did, it, did you change strings or picks or anything like that when you were uh, once you got that? Did or did your preferences still stay the same? Man, yeah, I pretty much use coded strings because whenever I play, I have this, you know, whatever this acidic stuff in my hands is that leaks out, kills strings. And if I play uncoded strings, I mean, after five minutes, it sounds like the strings are month old <laughs> so i have to i kind of have to use coded strings but uh yeah i just kind of stuck to that you know um dan dan is a uh he's been endorsed by elixir for years now and he still has kind of this uh i might not say it but he still has the stash of elixir mandolin strings and every now and again he'll be like hey i got something for you he'll hit ah, me up with nice some, some elixir mandolin strings it's like oh yeah man <laughs> discontinued mandolin strings nothing sweeter and then how about picks picks um i just got sent you know frank sullivan and uh and uh his partner in in pick crime they're making those tone slabs now and he just sent me these awesome uh these awesome they're called darth darth tones they're these some black material you know space age stuff that uh that only the government knows what they're made out of and uh <laughs> And they're they're super super cool. He just sent me some of those, man, and uh, I've been I've been trying them out. And I really like them a lot. They're really, really great and um, super uh, super good tone. I've been using those some, but uh, those yeah, and the tone slabs. Have you tried one of those out yet? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them here. He sent me um he sent me these picks. My my buddy Jake Stogdill from from Missouri. He actually runs the Banjo Band General Store um, in uh, in Exeter, Missouri. He he kind of had a a pick designed by by the tone slabs guys 
and uh, he calls it like a tri point or something like that. It's a tri it's a triangle, but the edges are a little straighter instead of rounded, and it 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 feels more like a like a like a tri tipped teardrop almost. Oh, nice. And so um, I told uh, I told Frank, you know, you know, I tried these picks out that y'all made for Jake, and I really liked them a lot. He was like, right, I'll send you some of those in, in the black. And he sent me he sent me some, and I guess they've started doing uh, engravings, you know, or etchings. I don't I don't even know how they're how they're putting the designs on the picks. But he sent me some with our East Nash grass logo. On. That's awesome, dude. Su- super cool, man. Super cool. And uh, but yeah, they're really great picks. Yeah, Frank and David are, are are crushing it right now. Good for those guys. I love them. I I literally haven't used, I haven't gone back to, and I always have a bunch of picks in my case and feel like a lunatic and would always have a bunch like laid out when I'm playing and. I, uh, I honestly have not used anything since that tone slab that I've been um, working on them with. I love it. Yeah, it's great, man. Great picks and cool dudes. Definitely. Thank you for doing this again, man. And um, congratulations on the album. Once again, just great stuff. I'm excited for people to check it out. And um, available on the 18th everywhere. Is there a particular place you want people to go? Is it on a label? Are you going to band camp it? How are you guys doing it? Yeah, we actually are on a label. You can... Uh, when, when it comes out, you'll be able to stream it on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music. Um, you know, we're on Mountain Fever Records, so it'll be coming out on that. It'll be out on the 18th. There's already like five singles you can go listen to right now on Spotify if you want to. If you want to hear them, we got a few music videos out on YouTube. And uh, yeah, man, just just keep a uh, keep a. Uh, keep staying in, in tune basically <laughs> stay, stay stay tuned for for more east nash grass that's right safe travels uh, on your on your run of dates and i'm looking forward to seeing you at ibma buddy you too man thanks again for doing this daniel good talking to you anytime all right thank you so much to harry for doing the podcast man i always really enjoy getting to talk with harry he's such a great guy and Every time I hear him play, he just gets better and better. So so thanks again to Harry. Go out. That album is available today everywhere where you get your your music. Stream it. I say buy it. It's always the best way to help these artists out and go see them live. If you're in Green Mountain this weekend, come by and say hello. Have a fantastic weekend, y'all. Cheers, everybody.